The NBA stemmed some of its losses by making it through the postseason in a Disney bubble that came at a cost of nearly $180 million. How much revenue did that pricey bubble preserve? And how much red ink will remain when the league tabulates its final tally? Our NBA writer John Lombardo has that story this week, and he's here to talk about it. Then we'll hear from executive editor and publisher Abe Madcor. That and whatever else comes up once we get talking here in the far-flung work-from-home newsroom of Sports Business Journal. I'm Bill King, and this is First Look. The NBA's Disney bubble is finally behind us. A new champion crowned, and more importantly, a season completed without incident, at least as it relates to COVID. So how much did that all cost and how much revenue that otherwise would have been lost did the league salvage? In to talk about that now is our NBA writer, John Lombardo. John, we've talked about bubbles for a couple of months now. The bubble portion of our NBA season has finally concluded. And one of the things you and I talked a lot about was sort of, yes, you saved the season, but at what cost? This week, you have a pretty interesting and detailed look at that. At what cost? Well, it cost $180 million dollars for the NBA to execute, conduct, plan the bubble. And to great success, by the way, in a lot of ways, um, ratings aside, that bubble was so critical in, in stemming the losses for the league. You know, they're going to have huge, they're going to have a huge loss, obviously, from not just a shutdown, but from China. So, yeah, it is so important to get the season completed. It also is so important to preserve that revenue that the bubble was able to do for the league, which is this is going to be an extraordinary Difficult year for the league from a financial standpoint. So, you know, they pulled it off. The league will tell you, and I think we can all agree that the biggest number is zero in terms of the zero COVID cases. Right. Which, Bill, I think you and I talked about when they first started rolling the bubble out. We were actually, I think, had a podcast just exactly on how that was going to happen. Right. And boy, today, thanks to all their protocols and buy ins from players and staff and staying. You know, really disciplined in terms of what they needed to do. Yeah, if you lock it down, it can work. We found that from both the NBA and the NHL, and we found out what happens when you don't lock it down watching the NFL now. As, as successful as the bubble was, they want no part of the bubble again. If at all, they can help it for yeah. sure, right? They and that's... need people in buildings. Teams need fans in arenas. You know, 40% of that league's gate is of, of the league's overall revenue is from the gate. Teams. They don't want to do this. Players don't want to do this. Of course, they have to find a way to either get limited fans in there. That's all still being determined. And by the way, there's not not a whole lot of time. I mean, that they want to do. I mean, it's it's this crazy calendar, but who knows what's going to happen with the virus? But the league now is obviously turning their attention to trying to figure out what they can do with a preference to be get people in those arenas. So, but what they what they did manage to do on the financial side of this is keep from losing an additional one point five billion dollars, right? That's that's the number that that. Well, that... yeah, I mean, it's 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 in it's in excess of a billion dollars, right? And and they were on track to lose. The, the, the bubble really stopped the bleeding of these hemorrhaging losses of one point five billion at least. So that's got to be figured into the cap now. There's got to be negotiations with the players. There's good, there's a lot of work the league has to do. So, so help me understand it. How much? How much do you think they saved by playing? They preserved at least, you know, sources are saying, you know, more than a billion up to one point five billion. Right. It cost one hundred eighty million dollars for them to put that bubble on. Right. So, what do you think they lost? They're doing the audits now. It's going to be way over a billion dollars. Yeah, but they, so they might have cut it in half. 
until they finish the league accounting year, no one's going to know. Right. Right. Well, if, if you think about it, I mean, the, the uh, obviously getting those game played games played, preserved, whatever portion of TV revenue it, there is. Right. Um, how, how did the huge, huge right. Right. And then, and then the things they did on top of that, how did that go in terms of being able to open up a little bit of a, a little bit of revenue flowing back in? Well, they, they needed to do it they, to, to, to make their sponsorship obligations, you know, to meet those obligations. So that's why you saw virtual signage. That's why you saw signage all over the, you know, the, the hard signage all over the floor of the court. I mean, they even they even put YouTube TV's logo on center court for the finals. Right. right? So that there's, and you're going to see more of this to, to open up revenue areas you know, to make up for lost monies. Um, and, and I think that they did it well. They executed it well. They activated well. I think that that, that Michelob Ultra Courtside Club was an activation that you know was, was done pretty well. I'm not a huge fan of virtual fan boards, but in this case, I think it kind of worked okay for them. Able to to to, to satisfy a, the the Michelob Ultra lead beer brand, which is you know obviously very very visible for the NBA. So I think they did a lot of creative things that that were successful. I think it's been interesting to talk, start talking to people now as they look ahead and you start talking about the bubble. Not only does no one want any part of another bubble to start the season in terms of bringing people together, you know, bringing teams together and, you know, even if it were regional bubbles uh, to, to at least get a season started, this was to preserve a season. This is not anything that anyone intends to do to start a season. That's, that's what I've heard over and over again, really from everyone I've spoken to. And, and not only that, but you know, when I've, when I've spoken to teams and this isn't just the NBA, it, it includes some NBA people I've talked to, but also in, uh, in other sports, baseball, um, hockey, the idea of starting a season with, um, you know, 20% capacity, um, is, is not particularly appealing that what they're really, what I'm hearing people say they're looking toward is what can we do to get more people in buildings, not just get people in buildings, but, you know, given, given however many months there is now, whatever direction this virus goes, what's our plan to actually open back up in a safe way? That's what it sounds like people are looking at, right? Absolutely. It's a big unknown right now for the, for the teams, not just in the NBA, for all of them. The last thing the NBA wants to do is have this big expensive bubble again, right? Teams want people in their arenas. And they don't want to play without them. For sure. And you know, Bill, and, and right now, that all of this is still unknown, how they're going to do it. It makes it hard to sell for next season too, right? I mean, how do you, what are you offering? What are you selling? How are you figuring out what you're going to do? You know, what's the arena going to look like? So nobody wants to play with, with no fans. <laughs> just from a financial standpoint, clearly, obviously. And also just from the, you know, they want to be able to engage fans again. And, and, and so... That's why there's no set time yet on, a, on the next NBA season. Um, and no one knows exactly what's going to happen between now and, you know, January. It's going to be – season won't start until at least mid-January at this point. There's just so many unknowns in terms of how they're going to safely put people in arenas and how many they're going to be able to put in. Well, the thing that I'm hearing most consistently is the hope that you can use fast testing to right. clear people. Um, in advance of a game so that, you know, you're going to, you can expect that in order to get into an NBA game in particular, that's where I've heard this the most, there's going to be a fast testing mechanism, not a temperature check, a COVID test, uh, where you, you know, you, there's an app and you, you get tested 
you know, sometime within a window before the game. Uh, and when that is cleared, your ticket will be active. Do you think that's logical? Do you think that's possible, reasonable, likely? And is that, are you hearing the same thing? I'm hearing that testing is going to have to be a part of this and how that's done is frankly, Bill, to be determined. Yes. I mean, they would love to be able to do that. And how much is that going to cost? Yeah. And and how can they do that in a safe and you know, fast and reliable manner? There's just huge questions. I think the league, you know, they're obviously they're turning their attention toward those questions, but no one just knows how it's going to play out from the virus standpoint yet. The league can certainly take pride in what they did with the bubble in Orlando, but boy, there's a whole lot of work that needs to be done and so many unknowns as teams now quickly look toward when next season's going to start. So we, we've got the draft coming up, not terribly far away, November 18th, right? So we're only a month away from that. Um, but after that, think about that. There will be a draft held really when regular seasons would be starting, right? We're, we're, you're right closing in on that. As a matter of fact, regular, now that I think about it, regular seasons would be underway. We'd be in training camp right now, wouldn't, wouldn't we? It's, it's so easy to lose track of things. We'd be in training camp right now, right, in middle of October. And instead, we're going to be looking at a draft in November, middle of November. Certainly nobody has a date circled for on the calendar for when a season would start. But when do you think it could start? What do you hear? I, I know it's a lot of I don't know, but there has to be a goal, doesn't there? What do you think? What do you uh, yeah, think that I think could it's look like? Be late January. I think you could at late January, maybe even early February, just based on 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 what the league has to do. So again, there's no yeah, there are a lot, a lot of unknowns, but I can't see it being until you know mid to late January. And if that's the case, we're talking about another abbreviated season, right? I don't think so. I think they'd like to play them all if they could. I don't 82? know. Eighty two. The whole they push the season back on the other end again. All depends on when they're going to start this. Yeah. I almost think it's a pull the bandaid off is, is where they have to end up. I understand they want to preserve revenue and get 41 home games and players want to get a hundred percent of a contract and all that stuff. But if you're going to push back again, then you're going to play into October again. Then that means you're not going to start your season until January again. At that point, maybe you've just changed your mind on what your season looks like and you're just completely going to stay off the NFL. But then how does that align with college basketball? I mean, that's, you know, you really start to run into problems there. Um, It it just seems to me that, you know, pull the bandaid off, say we're playing 60, you know, whatever we're going to play, you know, is, is, I would think where it would, where it would land, but that's just me guessing. Teams have their individual RSN contracts, right? I think the magic number is 70, 70 games, right? So you definitely, I mean, you definitely want to get at least fulfill that portion, right? For your TV partner and your, your, your RSN partner. Yeah. You might be renegotiating. (laughs) Right. That too. But I I think that they're going to try to get, try to, to try to get back to some sense of normalcy that's even possible. Well, we didn't think much was possible when we were talking back in May and June, right? Yeah. There were doubts, right? About the bubble and how is it going to be secure and all that. They certainly proved that they could operate very well in the bubble and the WNBA too, by the way. Mm-hmm. Bubble that seen. So yeah, it can work. Incredibly expensive. And I don't think the league would like to do that again if they don't have to. So what else will you be watching now as we head into this very odd offseason? It'll be interesting to see how the players and the league shake out negotiations over such the different economics of the league. That'll be it's something to certainly watch. I think that free agency will be interesting to see how that's impacted. So this whole it just throws off so much in terms of, of the league's economics and 
just to see exactly how the league um, with its uh, collective bargaining and, and, and there is, of course, a, you keep hearing about the strong relationship between the league and the union. This will be a real, a real show of that one way or the other. Okay, well, let's look back on uh, on this postseason and particularly the finals. Um, a crowded um, sports viewing space. There's no doubt about that. How's the league view the ratings, and uh, how, how do you think the TV business views the ratings? Well, I think the view and the ratings is it's across the board from every the property that these the big declines. You know, it's an election year. That's the season's calendar is way off. I mean, every property has seen you know major declines, whether it's you know, baseball, you know, every, every sport, there's so much, the calendar is so crowded. It's an election year bill, right? So it's, the, the, you know, they're playing, this, they're playing this, these seasons when the, the NBA should be starting next year's, re, you know, the regular season that they're playing the finals. It's everything's just upside down. So the ratings were terrible for the finals. They're also terrible across the rest of the sports properties. And I think that's how, how, how it's being viewed because, it's not just limited to the NBA. Interesting, though, that they got those terrible ratings in spite of the fact that they got, you know, they did get a Lakers final. They got a LeBron final. They got a lot of things they would have wanted, didn't they? Big market Los Angeles. I think that they were, you know, swimming against the current of just so much on television. You know, you look at their ratings for, the, you know, the, the the election cable shows are just through the roof. So there's that, that, that certainly impacts it adversely, you know, all sports ratings, including the NBA's and, you know, Bill, people aren't used to watching the finals, you know, on a, 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 you know, going against the NFL. Right. So there's all kinds of, of scheduling issues when it's on nights, it's on. It's a real challenge. Yeah. That's one of the interesting things that is, that that's come of this though, is I think when we, again, spin back to conversations we all had, you know, a, a couple of months ago about what would happen, what would the TV landscape with, look like with all this stuff on. And I think there was an expectation that while there might be some losers, there would be winners. Um, and we really haven't seen that, this idea that people don't have anything to do and they're trapped at home and all those things. I tell you what, it's driven sports betting. Um, I can I can tell you that the uh, numbers out from New Jersey, yet a, a record which beats last month's record. Um, so so there's no question that there is that that very engaged segment that now has something else to do, which is bet. Um, but that broader casual fan, maybe this is an indication that we've really seen that the ratings declines that we've seen are are. Um, are, are, are there may be some more ahead? Uh, there may be, and it's just it's just so across the board too, right? That that it's just such a all those all these sports properties just getting hammered. I think there's going to be some more issues with rate with viewership until the calendar gets set back to where people are used to, perhaps. Yeah, it could be, but I mean, look, the prime time. Th- this is the thing. There's no, you know, normally if you were going in October, there'd be oh the prime, you know, it's the it's the prime time schedule and and all those other things. It's not any of those things. Maybe this is and and as much as people like to talk about cable news, we forget. You know, this country is about fifty percent sports fans, if that. Right. So out of that fifty percent, how many of those are the ones watching cable news? How many of those? You know, is is this more an issue of an aging fan base that's watching less television? I don't know. It, it, I don't think we know anything. The one thing we do know is that that idea that there would be this vast demand, pent up demand, probably wore off by the end of August. Yeah, I think so. I think. I mean, there was just a torrent of sports on all the time, and I think you know it, that definitely had an impact. 
for sure. And and now we go from that to next to nothing here coming up pretty soon, don't we? <laughs> we got the NBA wrapped up. We got the NHL wrapped up. We're about to get baseball wrapped up. And normally we'd have the NHL and NBA starting up right now. We won't. Um, right. So it's college uh, football games are being canceled left and right. By it, the way, it, yeah, right. It, yes, 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 and and NFL games maybe you know canceled. They've certainly been Who moved knows around. Where that goes, so. Certainly, every every right. day is two or three more tests. This is that time, isn't it? Yep, all right. absolutely. All right, John Lombardo, our NBA writer. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. First look is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're a fan of our podcast, subscribe on your mobile device to have First Look delivered right to your phone every Monday morning. Now, we turn to executive editor and publisher, Abe Madcor. Abe? Well, thank you, Bill. Good to chat with everybody today. I will be brief. Two things I want to bring your attention to. One are Game Changers. We started our Game Changers program in October of 2011. We wrote at that time, that our goal was to shine the light on a generation of talent, of women who could create a network for professional relationships, for mentorship and leadership. It wasn't a power list. It wasn't the most powerful women in sports, but it was a way to tell the stories of women who are having success, serving as leaders, being progressive and out front in a largely male-dominated industry. And we're particularly proud of this program. Over the past 10 years, we've shared the stories of nearly 400 women in sports business, and we've watched many of them be promoted and take on leadership roles across the industry and also serve as mentors to a new generation of women who have entered the business. So it's something we're incredibly proud of. This year's class, 50 women, and I really encourage you to read their stories. I'm always inspired by these stories of perseverance and success. It's must reading for anybody who's interested in career journeys. I also want to give a hat tip to our own section editor, Betty Gomes. She led this effort. It's a tireless effort. She worked hard to get the submissions, do the research, and finalize this group of nominees. And it's a very interesting, diverse class. We will honor our game changers at our conference on October 27th, the virtual conference, of course. We'll also examine the important issues facing women in sports today. To register, go to our webpage and our conferences and events page and sign up. I think it's one of the best events we do all year. Another thing I'm keeping an eye on, Bill, this possible sale of up to three MLS franchises, Houston Dynamo, Orlando City SC, and Real Salt Lake are all being actively shopped as a story in this week's issue by Mark J. Burns and Chris Smith report. You know, we've noted that Real Salt Lake could be with other assets, with other soccer assets, could be in the market for more than $500 million. Burns and Smith report that Orlando SC, if Flavio Augusta da Silva puts his Orlando sports holdings all together, that includes an NWSL team and two USL teams, that could value the entire operation at close to $500 million as well. Remember, De Silva paid $70 million for his expansion franchise in 2015. Houston Dynamo, a little bit more uncertain, but again, what am I watching for? Who steps in to buy these sports organizations and the price point, specifically during a pandemic and specifically as MLS is still on a growth trajectory. We know that MLS still has to do an upcoming media rights deal. That's going to be a big indicator of the marketplace's reaction to the league. 
But we've seen the last few deals, David Tepper in Charlotte, Meg Whitman in Cincinnati. These have been continuing to be bigger and bigger purchase prices. I'm going to see just how much the Houston Dynamo, Orlando City SC, and Real Salt Lake get on an open market. And I would encourage everybody to keep your eye on that because it will be a telling indicator of the strength of MLS and also the strength of franchise valuations during a global pandemic. So, Bill, those are some things I'm keeping an eye on. I'm Abe Madcore. I look forward to talking to all of you again next week on First Look. Thanks, Abe. That's going to do it for this week. For Abe Madcore, John Lombardo, and our producer, Chris Mason, I'm Bill King. And this has been First Look.